soon. All right, log it up. Just wanted to see if that would work. Listen, can we give it up for the, the music team? Because I don't think... Thanks, Joe. I don't think y'all realize, like truly realize how good you have it. Because when I met Joel and I was leading worship, it was rough. It was not this good. I, I've just really enjoyed the floor and there were three of us and it was painful. So I'm really... Uh, I've just really enjoyed this music, this time of worship that we have together. But we are going to continue on in our series this week. Our theme is Peace with God, and uh, I would love to, to pray for us as we get started here tonight. Let's pray. Father, prepare us tonight, Lord, in your grace and your mercy. I pray that this wouldn't be a time where we're hearing something that we've heard a thousand times and it just kind of glances off. Lord, I pray that we would be captivated tonight by your love. Lord, I pray that we would be captivated tonight by what you've accomplished for us in Jesus Christ, Lord. Can we look at this together with fresh eyes? Father, I pray that through your spirit you would allow us to do that. Lord, that what we hear, what we take in, will change us. Father, as I prayed last night, I pray again tonight. I pray that none of us would leave any night this week the same people that we were when we came in. Father, but you would shape us, you would call us, and you would bring us closer to your son, Jesus Christ, by whose mercy we live, in whose strength all things are held together. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right. Last night, we talked about a couple of things. We looked specifically at um, the life of Jacob in Genesis chapter 32. We looked at how so much of his life was defined by conflict. And yet into the midst of that comes God wrestling with him, reaching out to him, saying, hey, you've been trying to strive with the world for all of this blessing, and all that you need to do is just look to me. And I'm right here, and I'm reaching out to you. Tonight... We're going to look at how he does that. We're going to look specifically at how God makes peace for us, how God accomplishes peace between us and him. But first, I have a little video clip that I would like you guys to see. Any Star Wars fans out there? You're good people. I, I, I'm sincere that like for a significant number of years in my life, I would lay in my bed at night and try to turn off my light with the force. Did anybody else try that, or is this just a me thing? Okay. I would sit there in my bed and just try to turn the light off with the force, but um, that has nothing to do with what we're about to talk about. So, Krishan?
All right, that's good. <laughs> there we go. We can still clap for Star Wars. I love the old school special effects. Now listen, I need to set that scene up a little bit for you guys, okay? So what's happening there? Did I ruin Star Wars for anyone just now? Okay, it's your own fault. We'll talk about it later. Um, what's happening in that scene is Luke Skywalker is training with Yoda, right? He wants to become a Jedi so that he can go off and he can fight Darth Vader and he can uh, bring peace to the galaxy and he can avenge Obi-Wan Kenobi and his family and everything else. But as he's training with Yoda on this planet, this kind of like swamp planet, he sets Yoda down and they have this conversation and then he goes, hey, there's something over there. Something's out there. And he decides to go and look at what it is. And on his way into that cave where he meets Darth Vader, he looks at Yoda and he goes, what's in there? And Yoda says, only that which you bring with you, which is the most grammatically correct thing that Yoda will ever say. <laughs> only that which you bring with you. And he goes into the cave, he fights who he thinks is Darth Vader, chops his head off, the mask explodes, and it's his own face. Now, I've spent entirely too much time analyzing that scene. And here is my conclusion, okay? Luke is going into that cave thinking that his greatest problem, his greatest struggle is this battle with Darth Vader. It's the whole reason that he's training. It's the whole reason that these movies have kind of been pushing you towards up to this point is this big battle with Darth Vader. And yet when Yoda looks at him and says, the only thing in that cave is that which you bring with you, he's saying, listen, there's a bigger struggle going on. Before you can fight Vader, before you can win this battle that you're so worried about, you're going to have to deal with yourself. And so when he chops the head off and Luke's face is there in the mask, it's the movie's way of going, hey, you have to deal with yourself first. Time and time again in Star Wars, what are they worried about with Luke? His anger, his aggression, and his fear. They're worried that that's going to take him to the dark side. And in that cave, Luke has to confront himself and say, hey, maybe the biggest problem that I'm facing is not Darth Vader. It's not the Empire. Maybe the first thing I need to deal with is myself. And I would say that as we embark on this journey of trying to understand what peace of, with God is, we have to start there. There is a human tendency that we have to do what I call, what others have called, blame shifting. When we start to look at our lives and say, like last night, I asked the question, what kind of conflicts are you facing? When we start to look at our lives and think about what we're struggling with, we tend to go, okay, it's this thing over here. It's this relationship. It's this teacher. It's this coach. It's this parent. It's this sibling. It's this move that we're about to make. It's this person at church that just can't seem to get it together. It's this youth leader that I don't really like. It's always something outside of us. So rarely do we think about what we're struggling with and the conflicts that we face, and yet that is exactly here and go, is it possible it starts here? And yet that is exactly where scripture asks us to go. It says, stop looking outside of yourself. All of the unrest that you feel, all of the pain that you feel, all of the struggle that you feel. Stop looking outside of yourself for the solution to that and start looking in the mirror. It begins here. It begins by looking at who you are and what your identity is. And so we're going to look at Romans chapter 5 tonight. 
to try to see what the Apostle Paul has to say about our identity. He says a couple of pretty profound and honestly really painful things about who we are, both apart from Christ and with Christ. So we're going to open up God's word and look at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, but we'll skip around a little bit. Uh, I believe you'll have it up here on the screen. Thanks. It says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is God's word that he has given to us. And in it, he makes some painful and bold and troubling claims about who we are apart from Christ. We're going to talk tonight two things. We're going to talk about our past identity, and we are going to talk about our present peace. First, let's, let's talk about our past identity. Paul says three things are true of us apart from Christ. Three times you'll hear him say, for while we were, for while we were, for while we were. The first one is this, for while we were weak. The first thing he says is true of us apart from Christ is that we're weak. Now, I know some of you guys in here are going, that's not true. This, that's not me. Especially you guys that were wearing those shirts today where you just like cut out this part of it. And there's just like a string right here and then the top part. And this is just your side. You're wearing a poncho without a shirt underneath it. <laughs> Fight me on that later. I'll probably lose. It says we are weak. But it's not talking about that kind of weak. Our spirit is weak. Our affections are weak. Our morals are weak. It says, while we were still sinners. So first he calls us weak, and then he calls us sinners. What does that mean? Our it means that we're not righteous. It means that we're not right. It means that our actions are not good and that no matter how hard we try to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and convince our parents, our teachers, and the rest of the world that we're okay, we're not. We're broken. We've missed the mark of what is good and true and what God requires of us apart from Christ. We are sinners. We are weak. We cannot by our strength hold to God's law. We're sinners. We cannot in our actions do what he requires of us. And boldest of all in verse 10, he says, for while we were enemies, we're weak, we're sinners, we're some of you. Now, I know this sounds harsh. I know that some of you might be sitting in this room right now and going, that's not me. If you've been around Presbyterians for too long, some of you are going, no, I can agree with that. I was catechized. But the reality is that that might be words that your parents said for you while you were being baptized, but it's not something that you have really considered to be true for yourself. 
For you, maybe the enemy is always the person outside. It's always the person in the youth group who can't get their act together. It's always the person at school that you just can't get along with. You can't understand why they're doing the things that they're doing. But if you haven't been around Presbyterians for too long, I would imagine that for an enemy of God, I think God's okay. I would imagine that for most of us, our enmity with God our status and our identity as enemies is not one where we go to God and we just throw the middle finger in the air and we say, I'm not about you. Our issue with God is not normally one of anger in the United States, but one of apathy. Our issue with God is not that we're mad at him, it's just that we don't care that much about him at all. It's not that we're postured toward him with our fists up going, come at me now. It's that we're not turned towards him at all. We're turned away. Because the things of this world, we're going into identities that we think this world has to offer us seem so much bigger than what he has for us. We're going, it doesn't matter if God likes us. It doesn't matter if God loves us if this girl doesn't like me. It doesn't matter what God thinks of me if I don't make it on this team. So I need to go here first before I deal with this. Maybe some of you at old school right now are going, I'm going to worry about all of this faith and Christianity stuff when I'm a little bit older and I look as weird as you do. But scripture tells us we don't have that opportunity because it says that apart from Christ, we're broken. It says that apart from Christ, we're enemies. It says that our primary problems are at large outside of us. It's not with the non-Christians. It's not with the culture at large. It's in here. It's that we're broken. It's that we are not on our own able to posture ourselves towards God. That's been the reality since the fall, right? If you've read Genesis chapter 3, you know that the issue at want there is not that Adam and Eve were angry with God, so they took the apple and said, we want this because we're mad at you. It's that Adam and Eve wanted to be God. They wanted to turn themselves away from him and to choose their own good. They didn't do it in anger. Arguably, they did it in apathy and in pride. That thought that I know what God wants of me, but I want to be able to choose my own good as well. There's this old George Carlin skit, which is just going to go beyond anyone, even my own generation. Okay, So there's going to be like three of you laughing, and that's okay. George Carlin was a comedian, and he has this skit about the different types of drivers on the road. Have any of you heard this? There's like one of there. Aha! Nailed it. Okay. He has this skit about the different types of drivers on the road, and if you've driven with your parents long enough, you know this is true. So he says that there's one type of driver on the road that's anybody who drives slower than you, and they're idiots. Okay? Some of you are like, yep, heard my parents say that. There's another type of driver on the road, and that's anybody who's faster than you, and they're maniacs. Right, so you've got anybody who drives slower on the road is an idiot, and anybody who drives faster on the road is a maniac, and so who does that leave to be the right kind of driver on the road? Me! I grew up in suburban Atlanta. That is me. I'm correct. Anyone else driving on the road is wrong. Antagonistic. It's how so many of us live our lives. It's not, it's not that we're antagonistic to God. It's not that we're going after God and saying, I don't care about you. It's that we just want to live our lives how we want to live our lives. We're so captured by this moment. Listen, I was in middle school. Believe it or not, I didn't always look this way. I was in middle school. 
I remember what it's like to feel those pressures. I remember what it's like feeling like a test is the end of the world. Feeling like being made fun of was going to crush me. Those hurts and those pains are real. But scripture tells us that there's something bigger going on that if we do not, before we can go on, we'll never have this other thing that we're seeking after. That there's another battle that we have to look at before we can go on and we can deal with these things. It's saying first you've got to look inside. And you've got to realize that your biggest issue is not over here with the world. Your biggest issue is here with your relationship with God. You are an enemy. You are broken. You are not capable of turning yourself. That leaves us with a ton of hope. Thankfully, Paul doesn't stop there. You see, the reality of our struggle, the reality of, of our, our lack of peace in our lives is that it's not a problem of behavior. But again, because no matter how hard we try, and I promise you that people have tried their whole lives to try to gain peace for themselves, to try to have the good life, to try to work up things in their life so that they'll never have to deal with difficulty. And it just leaves them where Jacob was left, alone and afraid. But the problem of peace is a problem of identity. We behavior change that's going to fix it. It's not a change in circumstances that's going to fix it. We need a change in identity. And Paul tells us in this first part that our identity before is enemy, weak, sinner. He even goes on in Ephesians chapter 2 to say that we were dead in our trespasses. With this issue, the prince of the power of the air. The reason that we need to deal with this issue first and we need to talk about our identity and our relationship with God or lack thereof is because if we don't, we are destined for death. That the end result of our striving to gain blessing out of the world is separation from him. If we cannot, and so we have to ask ourselves, so what do we do about it? If we cannot in and of ourselves gain peace with God, where do we go? Let's finish some of these sentences that Paul gives us in Romans chapter 5. While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly and to die. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Listen to this. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In verse 10 it says, For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Listen to me. Everything else in this world, all of the other voices, all of the other religions, all of the other philosophies that are going to tell you how to live your life are going to tell you that when you realize that there's something broken in your life that there's something wrong that's keeping you from feeling fulfilled, that's keeping you from feeling happy, happy, you just need to change yourself. There are some churches that are going to tell you that if your relationship with God is not where you want it to be, then you just need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Does Paul say, good enough? You need to prove yourself to God. And yet, what does Paul say here in scripture? It's not while you were perfect. It's not while you were strong, it was while you were weak that Christ died for the ungodly. 
It's not while you were perfect and moral and good that Christ died. Friends, he died for you while you were sinners. And it's not while you were his friends that he died for you. It was while you were his enemies. That is the heart of the gospel. Everything else, all the other religions are going to tell you it's on the basis of what you do and how you live your life that you are going to become right with God and you are going to get peace. He died. And Christianity goes, it's on what he did. He died for you because you couldn't make yourself right. He died for you because you weren't strong enough. He died for you because you couldn't turn towards him. He died for you to bring you peace with God. And so that first part of peace with God is that declaration that you are now his friend. That declaration that you are now made alive. That realization that though we were once destined for death, now we are destined for life. Isn't that what we're searching for at the end of the day? Isn't that what we're hoping to get out of our relationships? Isn't that what we're hoping to get out of our endeavors, our sports, our school, whatever else that we put our efforts into? Aren't we hoping to get life? Aren't we hoping to have somebody tell us that we're okay? Aren't we hoping to eventually have somebody tell us that we're good enough, that they like us, that they love us? And scripture will go, you'll never have enough of that in this world. You might have a moment of it. You might have a glimpse of it. But until you look at your relationship with God, it will never be enough. Because what we need before we need the world to tell us okay, because it's going to go away. Affections change. Relationships change. What we need is that voice of God saying, I love you. Because when he looks at us, he sees his son. Peace with God that laying down of arms, that prospering of our lives, it comes through Jesus' death on the cross. It comes through him taking on our punishment. Why did he die? Because we needed him to. He died because we couldn't make ourselves right. And so rather than put the punishment on us, God chose to take the punishment on himself. And so Paul is able to declare in verse 1 that now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Author Jerry Bridges, in his book, The Practice of Godliness, he says that we cannot have peace within. We'll call that personal peace. That's the peace we would often think of when we think about what peace is, that feeling of, okay, I'm, I'm good and I just feel good about life. We cannot have peace within and we cannot have peace with other people until we first have peace with God. We need that identity change. We need that change from there's, you are broken, you are sinner, you are enemy, to now you are, you are declared righteous through your faith in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you a story. In 2000, the year 2000, there was a man named Mike Anderson. Mike Anderson was arrested and convicted in the year 2000. He was convicted in the year 2000 of armed robbery. And he went to his court date, and they let him out on bail. And they, later they convicted him, and they gave him his sentence. It was going to be 13 years for armed robbery. I think this was in Missouri. 
Listen to what happened. They say it's going to be 13 years. And then they forget to pick him up. They let him out on bail. They convict him, sentence him to 13 years, and then nobody goes to get him. So Mike Anderson, for 13 years, is just kind of chilling. Like he's just living his life. He gets married. He has a couple of kids. Anything happened. Don't ask for him. And then 13 years later, what do you think happened? Don't actually answer this question. 13 years later, the police show up at his door. Why? Because they tried to release him from prison and he wasn't there. He'd not been there for 13 years and the only time they realize it is when they go to release him from prison. NPR did a special on this and they asked Mike Anderson the question, did you ever think they would come for you? And he says every day. Every day he wondered if somebody was going to call him out. Every day he wondered if somebody was going to come for him, but he kept living his life. He didn't even tell his wife or his kids. He just kept going. They had no idea that he had been convicted and sentenced to 13 years in prison because he wasn't there. He was at home. But there was a vacancy in the jail that they didn't realize needed to be filled until 13 years later when they came to pick him up. And they did put him back in jail. Pleased, everything worked out. They like got him for time served. We're good to go, okay? But the reality is, is that so many of us are living like Mike Anderson. So many of us live our lives as if we are free people, as if we are free men and women. And yet there's this part of us that when is somebody over our shoulder and going, okay, when is somebody going to call me out? When is somebody going to realize that I'm not actually as good as I think I am? When is somebody going to realize that I don't actually like the music that I pretend to like? When is somebody going to realize that I'm not actually as good of a person as I appear to be on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday evening? When is somebody going to call me on this? Or maybe you're a Christian, and part of you is going, when is God going to call me on this? I remember when I was in middle school, well, I didn't become a Christian until high school. So when I was in high school, when I would mess up, when I would make a mistake, when I would commit a sin, my immediate thought was always looking over my, my test, right? I thought it was a one-for-one one ratio. I was always looking over my shoulder wondering, okay, when is God going to come for me? When is he going to call me on this mistake that I've made? But do you know what the beauty of the gospel is? Do you know what the beauty of peace with God is? It's that we don't have to look over our shoulder. It's that there will never be a day when we'll see God coming for us going, now I'm going to call you on all of that stuff that you did and all of those mistakes that you made. And it's not because God just waves his hands and go, okay, nobody has to go to jail. It's because God put himself in that prison cell, not for 13 years, but to his death. We're told at the end of the Gospels that Jesus Christ cried out on the cross with nails in his wrists and in his legs, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know why he cried that? So that you and I would never have to. So that there will never be a day where you and I are going to look over our shoulders and see God coming for us. But he will always be with us. And he will always be for us as we put our faith in Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is the one who gives us peace with God because he paid the price for our brokenness. He took the penalty that an enemy would take. He took the penalty that a sinner would take. He took the penalty that a weak person would take. He took on death so that we could have life. Peace with God begins there. That inner peace that we strive after, that peace with other people that we hope will happen, we don't get that there until we first get that change in identity. That there is a God who so loves us, so loves us, that he was willing to die for us. So loves us that he was willing to take on the identity that we couldn't shake ourselves. So loves us we couldn't that he gave us his righteousness because we couldn't earn it on our own. If you hear nothing else this week, I pray that you hear that. I pray that if you've never, ever, ever considered a relationship with Jesus Christ, that you would consider it now because I wish that when I was in middle school, someone had told me this because I spent so much of my middle school years trying to prove to everybody else that I was worthy that I was lovable, that I was someone that they would be glad to be friends with. And it left me hollow, and it left me dead inside. A Father who through, that you have a heavenly Father who loves you, that you have a heavenly Father who through the work of his son, Jesus Christ on the cross, looks at you and says, you are worthy, and I have paid the ultimate price for you. Let's pray. God, I ask if there are any here who have never considered what it means to enter into a relationship with you and with your son, that they would do so tonight. Maybe it's a conversation with a leader, maybe it's a conversation with a friend. Father, I pray that you would do a work in some hearts here. I pray that you would do a work in the hearts of those of us who have been Christians for a number of years. Lord, that you would remind us that at the most basic level, what you have done for us is change our name. Lord, that you have transferred us from one status into another. And you did it by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. So great is your love for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.